Good morning. Good morning. Dave Becker just did it. Everybody put these up to your face and look at me. This is, that'll be creepy. Just put it up to your face. Yeah, this is weird. I know if you do that during the message, that's, there's a problem, right? Now you're going to be doing that all the whole time. Hey, uh, it's good to be together. We're finishing a series this morning. Uh, I'd like to pray for us, uh, and would you guys pray with me? God, we first want to thank you for uh, leaving the scriptures uh, to guide and direct, and the promise that it, it holds uh, a mysterious depth uh, that speaks into our lives. God, I pray this morning that your spirit would, would take the truth and help it sink even deeper. Uh, God, we pray for transformation for all of us in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. His name was Dr. Jigoro Kano. Uh, he was the, the founder of Judo. Uh, for a while, they were saying Judah, uh, which I was confused with the tribe of Judah, which would be like a Christian martial arts or some sort. That was funnier than the, at the 815, by the way. way. They were way sharper, I'm just saying on that one. Wake up, people. Uh, judo, so this Dr. Kano was the founder of, of Judo, and if you read his story, it's quite fascinating that he, he uh, not only created the whole martial art of Judo, but he spoke into competitions and how to do those, and one of the things he created too was the belt system, right? Some of you are familiar with the, the martial arts belt system. So, just as a quiz, see if you're awake, when you're a beginner, you wear a what color belt? A white belt. Why is that funny? That wasn't even a joke. I mean, I, all right, this would be a great group. Uh, so when you master the art of judo and mostly their martial arts, I think there's a red belt, but mostly you wear a black belt. So you can imagine at the end of his days, towards the end of his life, Kano laid uh, on his deathbed and called all his students together and said, I want you to hear this, and I'm asking for a request that I be buried, you would think, in his black belt. You would think in all his glory, in all of his expertness of what he had created. He said, I want you to bury me in my white belt. This, this blew his students away, saying, why would you do this? He says, because I am taking the new posture of a learner on a new journey that I'm going to take now at the end of this life. I thought that was a very interesting story because I would say today I think the, the biggest problem we have in our Christian faith, the thing we have to fight the most is becoming experts. You see, I think when we begin to wear the black belt of Christianity and we posture ourselves as experts, we lose the white belt value of being a curious learner, being a hungry learner. This speaks right into the series and why even this series was something we wanted to do because we are feeling a sense that it's easy for us to fall into the expertness of our faith and begin to stereotype people when they're not experts. We start to, to create labels as we saw in the video last week and to posture people based on the differences of how we think and how we 
live our lives and how we practice our lives. And we start to become really arrogant experts in our faith that has no place in Scripture. This morning I want to wrap up this series, and it's to be a little bit different, and it's, uh, it's been our desire as the, the song goes, as we sang that song, it's one of my favorite songs. This is my story. This is my song. I, th- I think it takes us to constantly be thinking white belt in our spiritual journey to look at people differently, to, to have that white belt on and thinking, I want to dive into the story of others and not just label them. And in this series, we, we felt like one of the calls we want Community Church to hear this season is that you're not only called, you're commanded to enter into a world that's lost. Anybody feel the hopelessness of the world this week? Wow. From reporters being killed right on camera to a police officer shot to still the race wars and then go global. The persecution of the church and, and the ugliness of our world today. I, I would say that Paul in the letters to the churches thought, he was, thought it, was, it was done. The days are evil, they're horrible, we're, we're at the end of times. It may be because of our social media that we get so quick we think it's worse, but I don't know if it's any worse. Maybe it's just we're aware of so much more. And in that awareness, it's easy for us to posture, right? Because we sit in a church and we, we learn more about God and we're in a, an era of history that we learn so much more and have so much more available to us in the area of theology and commentaries and breakdown. And I think the danger is we can become black belt Christians and we literally can beat people up over this idea of labeling. We said that we wanted a series that helped you understand that everyone has a story, a song that God is writing into their souls. You have one. And so we, we formed this tool for you to take home and it really is a way for you to, to begin the dialogue and really simply put, that, that's our call this series, for you to, to first be there and aware. Get into spaces where you can have conversations with people. The idea that we're to incubate ourselves here on Sundays and then Monday through Saturday protect yourself from such a dark world is not the gospel message or the commission, the great commission that Jesus gave us. I think Christians today wear black belts and are fulfilling the great omission. They're omitting the call to go out into a lost world. Be there and aware. We talked about that two weeks ago and even last week, but we said then, we said, you got to start a conversation. I mean, I'm, how many of you are introverts? That's like a horrible question to make you raise your hand even as an introvert. <laughs> horrible thing to do to you. I'm sorry. Somehow you got to shake your fist at God and say, why? Because you're, you're called into conversations. And maybe the grace is you don't have to have a hundred, just have one. Start a conversation. Begin to ask questions. Find out where people are at. And then you have this just asking and listening. Not demanding, but putting on that white belt and learning about someone's story. Learning about where people are at. 
I love this story of the founder of judo who says, put the white belt on. I wonder if this morning, that's our posture, that we, we think about putting on the white belt in our, in our spiritual journey and thinking very differently how we interact, not only with believers, but also those people that don't know God, but also those people who are trying to harm us. It's these three different groups of people that we've talked about in the last two weeks, and we're going to hit desire to, uh, for those who desire to harm this morning. And I just, I, I want you to know the Bible's clear. There's a lot more passages, and there's more than I put on here. This is just a starting point. This is something to put on your fridge, put it somewhere at work, where you can be just good to work through. So I've got to be more intentional about dialogue with people. Don't just label them on how they look, on what they're talking about, even how they're living their life. Ask a question. You'll be fascinated by the story, by the song that's being written in their life. This morning I want to talk about those who desire to harm us. We've talked about how do we interact with those who claim they know God personally. We've talked about those who don't know God personally. They may think they know about God, but do they know Him personally? We've talked about that the last two weeks. I encourage you to watch the last two weeks. Uh, Not because of me, but because I think there's some great tools for us in Scripture to do something with this year in ministry and in our lives as, as Christ followers. This morning I want to talk about, though, those who desire to harm. And this is a difficult area because the Scripture gives us these these popcorn approach to these different types of people that try to harm us. I want to identify three this morning, and I want to give some instruction to how we deal with them. First are those who are attempting to destroy us. They are those people that are trying to physically harm you. So this, this morning we could immediately think of what's going on in the Middle East, of Christians being held at knife point at machete point at gunpoint refute the name of Jesus Christ and and they're definitely out to destroy I there are those people out there some of you have experienced maybe some of that most of us haven't at least at the level we saw there the other group I want to talk to you about are dividers and we have I think in my tenure here at community church have had dividers these are people that are their appetite is for dissension. Their appetite is to create the controversy. It reminds me of the college-level philosophy course, right? How many philosophy and philosophy courses you remember that? It's the argument is the energy, right? It's all about the argument. And I think there are people in the church that are trying to divide and just create tension and arguments. There's a third group, though, and those are the deceivers. There are those who are intentionally distorting the truth. I want to talk about those three this morning. I want to give us a little bit of instruction on what the Scripture says about how to deal with this group of people and then have an application for us, I think, that uh, will move us toward communion. So let's start with this question. Are you passionate for Jesus? I, I said it this morning, every morning before we start the 8.15 service, we all show up and say, what are we going to do this morning? No, I'm, I'm totally joking. You're all dead quiet. Really? They do that? Uh, no, after weeks of planning, 
we'll go into the green room at, eight, at, at about 8 o'clock and before the 8.15 and we'll say, what's the order of service? And sometimes what I feel like what we can begin to do in the church is we become, we all have tradition and we all get in our cycle. And some of us love schedules, right? How many of you are schedulers? You just need, you need regularity in your life, right? You just need that pattern. Don't change it, right? It happens in our faith and you need that cycle, the problem with that is it's almost getting into what's called black belt faith is you start to forget how you first started. David says it in the Psalms, restore unto me, remember what he said, the joy of my salvation. The, the white belt years, the, the hunger, the, the desire to learn. And so I asked the group in there who do this every week, the tech, all the people involved of, of, of pulling off these morning services. Are you really passionate for Jesus? What, what's the passion level you have this morning? Because if we find ourselves just doing this every week, it just, I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't feel that presence. And I'm not saying that God's all just about feeling, but there's a sense of His presence. Are you passionate? Do you sense that this morning? How passionate are you for the name of Jesus? Are you willing to suffer for the name of Jesus? Let's dive into these three groups. The first group is destroyers. Uh, this is not a hard group to identify, okay? They're the ones that want to harm. I remember a couple of circumstances, uh, one specifically in California, in Laguna Beach, a group of us went into a store, and, I, and Trisha was with me, and I remember vividly this almost eerie, in an eerie way, he identified us as Christians. I did, we didn't know this guy, but said, get out. And it was a violent sense of, whoa, something's not right. Stay any longer, I'm sure he wanted to do harm. He said, never come back to this. And he had a long set of adjectives to his store. But he, he wanted to make sure that we never came back. Have you had those circumstances in your life where you sense they're out to harm you, hurt you? I remember an admissions trip in Mexico. And it was late night. We're on a bus ride with um, actually a, a lot of the Hispanic culture. And we just a a group of youth. I was a leader then. And we had these kids singing worship songs. It was late at night. And this Mexican guy gets up with his gun and pulls that and puts it on a kid and says, shut up. Do not sing those songs anymore. There's a world out there that is violent against the name of Jesus that will harm you. And so we would like clarity, wouldn't we, about how do we deal with these types of people? Are we to bear arms? Are, are we to go after them? Let's read what the Scripture says, 1 Peter 3. And friends, this is one of many throughout Scripture. So I had to be selective at a few this morning. 1 Peter 3, 8 says, Finally, all of you be, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another. There it is again. Whether we're dealing with people who don't know God, people who do know God, or people who are trying to harm you. It's this overarching call for us as Christ followers to love. Well, that stinks, doesn't it? Because don't you just want a little bit of that pound of flesh, right? 
to exact some Christian righteous judgment on people? Let's read on. It says, be compassionate and humble. There's that white belt again. Be that humble learner. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing. In the Jewish culture, it was very common for, especially at the end of a life of a father, a, a, a patriarch, he would bring his sons specifically into the room and, bring, and give them a blessing. And it wasn't that he physically gave them something, but it was words of a blessing. It was hoping for more and, and, and asking for more for them. Isn't it crazy thinking that Peter is suggesting that we, we give blessing to those people that are willing to harm us? It says, on the contrary, repay, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. God's called us in the work of responding in love and blessing people no matter what. And didn't Jesus do that? Jesus had every right to stand up for his own rights. A railroaded court system, a legal system that, that just rushed him through the system, it was completely unjust. But Jesus himself models this of love and bringing blessing. And what does Jesus say before his death? Forgive them. Praise a blessing. They don't know what they're doing. Stephen himself, in the midst of being stoned, okay, so not stoned like, right? I'll get comments about that, you know. Not, not it's being stoned, literally being put to death with rocks, looks to heaven and prays a prayer of blessing and forgiveness on the people. This is the call, and Peter is reinforcing that, and he says in verse 10, for whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. He's even saying, don't speak evil about these evil people. And their lips from deceitful speech, they must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are, are looking for, the ears of the Lord are attentive to those people's prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Romans 12, Paul will pick up the same theme. Bless. Bless. Bless those who are hurting you. Bless those who are going to physically harm you. Bless them. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. I thought this was an intriguing line that Paul uses here. Do not be conceited. Be so cautious of what you're taking in every week as a Christian that your degrees of belts get to that point of black belt where you've lost compassion and lost perspective about people that at least you perceive are at lower position. This gets into stereotyping, doesn't it? This gets into labeling people. I, come on, we've done it. You walk into the department store, you walk into the grocery store, you see someone, right? And they're opposite of what you think a good human should be like, right? And boom, you've done it. There's something so beautiful about being transformed by Jesus. What, he, what it says, the scripture says, is that he, we die with him. 
We use baptism as a symbol of that. But then there's this heart transplant that goes on. And, and it's this heart transplant that begins to change. And it says, the Bible says that the eyes of your heart look differently at people. So you can go to a prison and see the rapists and murderers and all those who are living out the punishment that our government says they deserve. And Jesus says, ah, but there's, there's one trump card. There's one thing you're missing. We're to look at them different. We're to bring the hope. We're to bless. We're not to curse. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Isn't this an interesting instruction Paul is giving us to say, quit categorizing and sectioning out kind of who you, who you associate with and try to leave at peace with everyone. I mean, there's passages in Scripture that says, rush to make amends with someone who's going to sue you, right? Because the court system is going to work you over. I'm paraphrasing that. It's just, I mean, the Bible talks about this. Live at peace with everyone. Pick up verse 19, a word for some of us in this room. Do not take revenge. This is not a choice. Hey, listen, if, you, if, you can, if, if possible, if, if it's not such a heinous crime, can you not take revenge? It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. God is in the business of the one of justice. He's the one that's going to bring the justice. He is the one. Remember last week we read Eugene Peterson. Who is it for us to cross the names off of the guest list of God? Are we going to be any different facing God if we exact justice on this earth on people? Will there be any levels, right? We get to stand a little bit higher, closer to God. There will be none. It is mine to avenge. I will repay the Lord. It says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, look at this, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Friends, I have heard stories, stories through Compassion International, stories of international speakers at the Global Leadership Summit that fascinate you when they repay good for someone who is harming them. Stories like that that are being, people are being persecuted all over the world, it echoes the love of Jesus. It's craziness. How could you give love to someone who is hurting you? Friends, if you have not read about the persecuted church, you need to because I think it will, will change your perspective about what we go through today here in America, here in Green Bay. It might give you just a little bit more courage for the boss that you feel is persecuting you for the group of people that are badgering you or, or bullying you at school. I mean, Jesus says it. Most of the writers of Scripture, hey, listen, you're going to be persecuted. You love Jesus. There's gonna, they're not even going to be able to explain why they're persecuting you. They, you're just opposite of them. It says, but repay them with love. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
One of the most persecuted churches today is in China, believe it or not. The, the communist oppression. Do you know one of the most flourishing churches today is in China? Friends, when the church is persecuted, it erupts a passion and a long-suffering for the name of Christ. And when Christians respond out of that heart transplant, that God, that God has given us a heart of love for those even people that harm us, it blows the minds. It short-circuits evil. It wrecks it. And what you're finding in some of these places of dark persecution, the church is flourishing. Can I say that God doesn't need us to defend him or his truth? Jesus said to Peter and his disciples in the midst of a pagan temple, been there, Caesarea Philippi, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Nothing will stop the church. Your first response to people who are trying to harm these destroyers is to bless and love them. Bless and love them. Craziness, I know. Some of you are new this morning. You're young in your faith. You're thinking, oh man, I'm out of here. Forget it. I mean, come on. I know a bunch of people that have harmed me. I don't have it. And, and I just want to say, pursue the love of God. And once you experience that God loved you this way, despite your abuse and persecution toward him. That's the beauty of this. Here's the second group, dividers. Dividers, there's, there's much more prevalent, I believe, in the church today, in sitting in chairs on Sunday. These are dividers. What are these people like? These people are love, they hunger and the appetite for the debate. The disagreement, the argument. They love the argument. Anybody know someone that's like an arguer? Do not elbow your spouse or your neighbor. Yep. So what does Scripture say about this? We're going to just rest in this one passage, Romans 16. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Remember last week I talked to you about this. I said... There are basic tenets of our faith that align us. And, and we're told to align around that. And then we said if the stage is those core tenets, those core beliefs, it's that Jesus, that, that we're created by God and God created everything and, and then that we fell in the garden, that sin is part of our sin nature now. And we can't work ourselves out of that. And God needed to send His Son, Jesus Christ, God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus dies for our sin. He pays the price. He raises again that we might have a way, an atonement for this sin, that we can now have a relationship with God. And He then resurrects and ascends to heaven and says, I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. This invasion into our lives, this heart transplant that begins to shape us and change us. And we're called the church. And we're to live this out. And he says, I'm going to give you a commission. And here's the new master strategy for saving the world. Go. Go everywhere. There is no limit. Go everywhere. Go all over the world and share the love of Christ. What dividers will do, remember I said off this stage, is the conviction, the debates on 
Is there such thing as the spiritual gifts? Can we speak in tongues? Right? Is dancing allowed in church? Do we have to wear suits or ties? I mean, there's a lot of convictions about, about how we live our lives and, and how we interpret Scripture. Divisive people, dividers, will come in and start to whittle their way and create sections. Can't believe Troy believes that. Can, can, well, let's, don't you disagree? And they start to turn and twist. Because their appetite for that, read this, it says, contrary to the teaching that you've learned, you want to know the first sign is when it starts to, I've never heard that before. That's strange. I've, I've never heard that, that teaching. I just had a Jehovah Witness come to our door about a week ago, and she's a great lady, and I was really nice to her, and I, I said, I'm going to stop you before you kind of get into your, your presentation, and I just said, I'm an evangelical pastor in, here in Green Bay. She, oh, we're like kindred spirit. You know, we're like together. I go, well, not really. Um, I, we would disagree with some basic tenets of the faith. Oh, like what? And so she, just, she said, well, you mean like the Trinity? I go, well, that's a good start. And we started to unpack that, and what you found was it's very different. Very different. I think there are people that intentionally know that. I don't think this woman totally knew that. I think she's following something of false teaching, and we'll get into that in a moment. But I think there are people that want to begin to twist it. And it says, it's, it says keep away from them. It's a simple instruction. Stay away from these people. For such people are not serving our Lord, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Be aware. What's our instruction for this group is keep away from them. If you find someone who is argumentative, divisive, creating factions in our church body, stay away from them. We've had them in our church. They don't last long because it creates some sort of tension in our church. There's a small group that begins to, to raise up on certain issues, and it creates division. And all it's feeding is their own ego. Scripture says, keep away from those people. Now, it does not say don't love them. I would still say, like last week, Matthew 18 applies. Go to them. If you're struggling with them, hey, can I ask you about why you're doing this? Who is it that you need to talk to that I can help you talk with to resolve some of your thinking? You start to ask questions. Friends, again, going back to the conversation, you start to dig into people's lives about why they do things. You'll start to find out a whole lot. Bibles give us clarity in a lot of things, but boy, there can be a lot of distortion and a lot of division around it. The last group is deceivers. I'll spend a little bit more time on this one this morning. Deceivers. These are people that are intentionally twisting the truth to distort the name of Christ. Now, I think there's a lot of uh, that frightened fear, and I, th I think we have taken in so much media and news that we can become, well, I think we have to guard ourselves because I think we can become as Christians fear-based instead of what? Hope-based. The scripture says fear not. 
God has overcome the world. Don't fear man. Don't fear government. Don't fear all that. Is it coming? Should we do something about it? Should we vote? Should we be a part? Yes. But we're not supposed to be in fear. Deceivers begin to whittle themselves in, and a lot of people now call out, ah, false teacher. I read this book, and he, he got it wrong. False teacher. False prophet. I think we're naming a lot of things today in our culture that are false prophets or teachers, and uh, I think we just disagree on some of the tenets or some of the, the convictions. Someone with your view about women in ministry or someone with your view about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, some of your view on baptism, on infant baptism, on dedication, some of these can be twisted and distorted, granted, but sometimes we call out too quickly false teacher. It says we need to be aware, but how about the dialogue? How do we deal with these deceivers, these false teachers? Again, Peter gives insight to this, and let me tell you why the Scripture is so good about giving you real-life examples, because it was happening then. Right after the church launched, there were the Judaizers and the Spirit people, groups that would follow Paul's teaching of church planning, and as soon as he left the town, they would come in and start to tweak it. Paul said this about Jesus, but you have to have Jesus plus circumcision. Otherwise, you're not saved. You have to have Jesus plus this, otherwise you don't fully know God. And so this group would fall around Paul, and then Paul would have to write letters. Hey, wait, wait, wait. Don't be deceived. But there are also false prophets among people, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Interesting uh, definition on the word heresy. Heresy in the Greek means to take. I thought this was fascinating because my impression of heresy would have been distortion, uh, deforming, uh, mistruth, false. It's actually, it has its basis on this idea of taking. Why? Someone who is a false prophet or teacher is trying to take. Take glory from Christ. Take the name of Christ down. Take, take they're takers. They're takers. Even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct. One of the things about false teachers, you will start to see eventually a conduct that is not consistent with Christ. If, if you want the litmus test for the false teacher, eventually their life won't match the teachings that Jesus taught in your Bible. And they'll start to live differently than that. And find a way to justify it. It says many will follow these, these false teachers in their greed. One of the, of the reasons why they do it, what propels false prophets and teachers and heresies is greed. I want. Greed is basis of what? I'm going to take. I'm going to take this. I want more power. I want more influence. I want more status. I want more control. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. Another way to say this for you this morning is God's very aware of that and their end is coming soon. 
I think we've watched in our culture false teachers fall apart. Some of you are old enough to remember, and I remember it very vividly, remember the Jim Jones, the Kool-Aid whole thing. Definite example of a, a, a cult heresy using the name of Christ. There are many of those that exist that twist. Uh, there, there's, and, and they can take Scripture and twist it, and that's why warned Christians don't run in there barging like you're a black belt. Sometimes they'll talk circles around you in your Bible. There's a group I know, uh, there's a group, a radical group, that takes literal Paul's comment about, you know, if you know Christ, that you can literally get bitten by snakes and live. And so they have a snake pit in their church. Um, we're not putting that in the Ripple Project. There's no snake pit. We're not putting anyone in. I just want you to know. But literally have that a part of their worship service. Again, taking, distorting, it's greed. Matthew 7, Jesus himself says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. Paul again to the Colossian church, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Can I encourage you, friends, not to live in fear, but to test everything. Take your Bible and begin to open it up. And as, as someone claims, as I do, and I would hope that if I have teaching that I've misunderstood, there's a different conviction that you'd come to me. Man, I just met with a group of pastors this last week. And, and I had to say to a group that was pointing fingers at all the pastors in Green Bay saying how bad the churches were, I said, hey, listen, I spend hours agonizing, hours every week. Oh, Lord, I don't want to miscommunicate your truth. I don't want to take anything from what your truth is saying. As hard as it might be for me to lose control, lose image, lose face, I have to dedicate myself to that challenge and call. Uh, I think you've got to test yourself. I think it means that you've got to dive in, and there are great resources today with commentaries, and to look at your Bibles. Now, I don't want you to live in fear like, oh my gosh, maybe Troy, maybe community, and look like everywhere, there's a false teacher. They become very evident very quickly. If you're around Christian brothers and sisters, they'll warn you, hopefully, very quickly. Scripture tells us to watch out because they're there. They are. But can I caution you to read a book and to take a phrase out of a book, to take a section out of a book and call them heretics is just sinful slander. You don't know those people. Write the editor. Write the author. Hey, I don't understand your perception here. Do you realize you could take sound bites over the last six years of messages I've done here, and I could be on a bad website, right, of how much heresy I've taught? Not because I am, but because take anything out of context, Right? And it's important that you understand that you begin to be more um, innocent as doves, wise as serpents, as the proverb says. What are we supposed to do with deceivers? Watch for them and expose them. Expose them. And I don't mean this means humiliate them or persecute them, but hey, this is wrong teaching. And I think you first meet with them, and if they're that rebellious, and they most likely will if they're a false teacher. If they're not a false teacher, they'll probably say, I want to learn. I am sorry. I want to, I'm sorry I got that wrong. 
or I want to investigate further. False teacher will, will refute it. If you get that, man, bring an elder with you uh, and let's call it out. Let's call it out if there's that false teaching. It is happening around us. I think there are sects of faith, different divisions of faith, calling themselves Christ followers, that's a distortion. But this morning I want to go back to this idea of passion. Because I want you to think about passion. Because really, to, to treat people who are trying to harm us, whether destroy us, whether divide us, or deceive us, that really measures the passion you have for God. How much you'll take for His name. It doesn't take me long to reset my, my, my inner gauge of passion by listening to stories of persecution. And I want you to listen to this open door commentary on a, a fella that exemplifies what it means to have passion. I've been thinking heaps lately about the word passion. It's probably one of the most used words in our Christian vocabulary and probably one of the most misused words too. What I didn't realize was that the word passion, it actually finds its origin in the Latin word for suffering, which I guess means that passion is not so much about something you love, but maybe more accurately, your willingness to suffer for something you love. But what does that mean for you and I? Well, what does it look like to be genuinely passionate for God? It actually reminds me of one of the most incredible stories I've ever heard from the persecuted church of a Christ-centered passion. About this guy called Peter from North Africa. He was arrested when police stormed into the secret Christian gathering that he was attending. He was caught and held for six years without charge in some of the most horrific conditions I've ever heard of. On one occasion, Peter was locked in a cell so narrow that he could only lie down. Essentially a coffin for five months. They took him straight from this coffin and placed him in an underground cell, completely dark. And they left him there for a further six months. When they finally pulled him out of this hole, he said not only was he almost completely blind, but his legs were paralyzed. And over the coming months, by the grace of God, he says, my sight returned and my legs were healed. The police would regularly pull him in and say, Peter, we want you to sign this piece of paper, which literally said, I will not speak about Jesus. I will not meet with Christians. And on each occasion, he would refuse to sign. One day, Peter and two fellow Christian inmates resolved to escape. With no shoes and just the clothes on their backs, under a hail of gunfire, they ran for their lives. In fact, Peter didn't stop walking for more than 200 kilometers until he reached the relative safety of a refugee camp. And as he spoke about the last six years of his life. He said he realized that not only had he lost his freedom, but he lost time. He said, I'm almost 40 years old. I'm, I'm not trained 
I'm that educated. I may never get married or have a family of my own. But then he stopped and smiled and he said, but I still have Jesus and he's worth it all. It dawned on me recently that, well, I live as though Jesus Christ isn't coming back in my lifetime. And the impact that has on my faith, on my passion, it's crazy because if I'm honest with you, I've been living that style of faith for more than 30 years. Whereas the people I've met right across North Africa and people like Peter, they live as though Jesus Christ is coming back in their lifetime with a willingness to suffer for God. It's almost as though in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, they find the river of life, the one true God, Jesus, who before you were passionate for him, suffered because of his passion for you. If you knew Jesus were coming back in 10 days, what would change in your life? Because whether he is or isn't coming back in our lifetime. It shouldn't change a thing. I love the line that before you were passionate for Jesus, he suffered because of his passion for you and I. I wonder if this morning as we think about those who try to harm, if it's really a question of our passion, of how much we're willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. How passionate are you for Jesus? We're so used to convenience and comfort that we begin to think we measure our faith, how we stand up in that measure of convenience and comfort. And I think the measure, the passion measure is best measured in the midst of controversy and challenge and persecution. And so friends, this morning, I do, the call as we go to communion, it's for those who call Christ Lord in their life. Communion is not a ritual that you just do religiously. You're to do it and remember that he suffered for you because he's passionate for you. And in that, might you this morning as you take the bread and the cup be reminded, do you have passion for someone, a people, a person that's creating harm in your life somehow? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we, we pray this morning that we're, we are reminded of the urgency that every moment counts that you could come back today. And God, you would be measuring the, the passion level and the, and the effort that we'd be making to engage in conversation, to, to meet people where they're at, to, to extend grace, to bless and love people, even when they persecute. Father, might we this morning be moved by your spirit to live out that call, to be passionate. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.